share with you real quick a kingdom win. So, you know, we're talking about the kingdom. One of our values here is kingdom over castle. And, and what we mean with that is if there's a decision as a church that's better for the kingdom, but not as good for us as a church, we're going to make the decision that's better for the kingdom. Um, yesterday, well, the last two days, uh, there was an IF Women's Conference, which went really well. And it was a collaboration between Common Ground and LifePoint Church. It was at LifePoint, and I think nine churches attended, nine, right? Something like that. Representatives from nine churches attended, uh, women from the age of 14 to 90-something uh, were there. So that really is a kingdom win. Since we began Common Ground, we've really had a heart to see collaboration for the kingdom rather than just churches staying in their castles. So another kingdom win is in the, this Easter season we know of around, the ones we know of, 40 baptisms in our area. That's a big deal, right? Yes, that's okay to clap for. Yeah. We had two here last week, which was really awesome, uh, but it's really neat, and we're hoping to get, you know, I'm meeting with pastors, and, and everyone I've met with so far is excited about the idea of just sharing that information. So at, at each church, we can start sharing, here's what's happening in our area, and, and the other churches will be doing the same thing, clapping uh, and excited for what God is doing. So um, just an update there. Grab your Bible, turn to Matthew 13. If you would. So when I was a kid, I had a phase of uh, treasures. And I don't know if you ever went through this. Um, probably not anymore with video games and stuff. But some of you older folks who grew up in the 80s and before, maybe you went through some of this. I would, uh, I'd get a box. A lunchbox was perfect. You know, a metal lunchbox. And I would fill it with treasures. Like a G.I. Joe. Um, a, uh, a newspaper clipping with the date. Uh, a coin, like a nickel that I thought would be worth a lot in 30 years. You know, I mean, just things I thought were treasures, I would put in there, and I would go bury it somewhere in the yard. We lived on about three acres. So I'd bury it somewhere in the yard. Then I would make a map, uh, and I used a brown paper bag, and I would draw it, and I would crumple it up, and I would burn the edges, and then I would put it in a bottle, and I would go out, and I would close my eyes and throw it backwards, thinking in 40 years somebody would find it, follow it, I'd be like, whoa, this is actually a Look at this G.I. Joe. You know, I mean, what, what kids do. Now, it never worked because inevitably, like the next day, I'd be like walking around, hey, a bottle, what is this? You know, and then I'd go find my own treasure. Um, but <laughs> the, fun, I, the fun part sometimes was, was I would do two bottles. One had like a code to decipher the map, right? And maybe you, did anybody else do that or am I the only weird kid? But the, the fun part was, was like the codes to decipher. If you just found the map, you're out of luck unless you find the code, the secrets. Now, since then, a lot of movies have taken my idea uh, and ran with it, and they've made billions <laughs> off of it. But, but how about that idea of, of hidden treasure and, and, and secrets, right? Uh, mysteries. Well, Jesus sometimes would speak about the kingdom uh, and the kingdom as, as a treasure, and he would speak about secrets or mysteries about the kingdom. Fairly interesting how he would speak, and some people would hear and, and want more, you know, want what is this treasure, and, and, and dig in. And others would be like, eh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go do this or, or argue with them. How about you? What is your response as you hear about the kingdom? This is our second week in the series, looking at the kingdom, how the kingdom doesn't equal religion. And there's some tension there. And, you know, as we talk about uh, religion, we're talking about tradition and, and some of those things. And often, religion, tradition serve the kingdom very, very well. Sometimes they become the thing, 
and don't serve the kingdom. And so that's what we're trying to line up with here is how is the kingdom different than religion? And if you grew up um, in church or, or maybe a Catholic church or you went some, you might, or, or maybe none at all, you just watch movies. If you just learn about religion from movies, you totally don't get it. That's okay. That's why you're here. Um, but we're going to look at God's word and try and, and, and reconcile and fix some of our misconceptions about what God wants in our religious life, in our spiritual life. So we're going to start in Matthew 13, and we're going to have some fun because we're not going to go in order. We're going to see here parables, um, and, and we could call these kind of riddles. I find it interesting. Why did Jesus speak in riddles? Well, we're going to find out. Matthew 13. Uh, we're going to start in verses 10 through 17, because here his, the disciples ask, why do you talk in parables? And he's going to tell them why. And then we're going to look at a couple parables and see what we can draw out of that. So Matthew 13, 10 through 17. Then the disciples came and they said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. For to the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their ears and hear with their hearts and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So here again, he's describing why he teaches in parables. This is going to be fun, I think, because as we look at this, there's not a lot of commands. You know, a lot of times we want to get into the word. We want to learn, all right, what should we do? As we study this, we're not going to really see a whole lot to do, but we are getting kind of a light on kingdom so that we look around and go, okay, I see why things are the way they are, you know, in the church today uh, or in culture, or why do some people respond certain ways? We get a little bit of an understanding, and hopefully, as we go through this, there is a bit of a mirror. Okay, let me look at my own life and my own heart and judge it well. This isn't one to look at each other and go, you're not doing very well. You're but to look at ourselves and really examine where we're at. But why did Jesus speak in parables? Well, here he acknowledges there's really two audiences that he's speaking to. There's those who will understand, and then there's those who won't. And so this is in your notes. Jesus spoke in parables to disclose secrets of the kingdom to those willing to believe to those willing to believe. He wants people to understand. Some are not going to understand, and these parables are going to make them even more confused and possibly even less interested. Now, these parables, again, they're about the kingdom. They're not about religion. Jesus is speaking to people who are very religious, meaning you know, they like the to-dos. I'll do this and do this and do this and do this. But here he's speaking in a way that requires them to dig in and go, huh, right? To, to listen and to, and to push into it. He's not making it easy for them. One of the things that, that really sticks out to me as we look at these is that in the kingdom, 
It's a passionate pursuit of the king. In religion, it can just be apathetic whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? It can be just coming to church. It can be doing good religious things, but just, eh. In the kingdom, there's, there's passion, which, which is really exciting. I mean, this morning as I was going through this, I was looking at the mountains with the snow still on them. You know, I'm seeing, and I'm just looking at all that he created. God created this world amazing and beautiful, passionate. So in the kingdom, there is a passion for the king. Because what is a kingdom? A kingdom is a place where a king reigns and rules, right? And so it's all about the king. It's not about, you know, all of us getting our way or whatever. It's about the king. The kingdom of heaven, as used in scripture, is the redemptive rule and reign of God in Christ. When we're talking about the kingdom, that's what we're talking about. The redemptive rule and reign of God in Christ. It's not the same as the church, although the church is the best expression of the kingdom right now in our day and age. That this kingdom where people are surrendered to him are going to be part of kingdom churches. Uh, but they're not exactly the same thing. So the kingdom, we talked about this some last week, it's already and not yet. Meaning Jesus is the king, he does rule, and there's a group of people scattered around the world surrendered to that king, citizens of a new kingdom, but we're still here on this earth, also citizens of other kingdoms for us, the United States of America, others, you know, believers first to God's kingdom, and then whatever kingdom they live in, whatever nation. But someday Jesus will return, and his kingdom will be realized, fully realized, and physical. It will be on a new heaven, a new earth. Jesus will be there reigning and ruling physically, and it's going to be pretty sweet because then sin is removed. Then we can actually do all these kingdom things perfectly. It's going to be great. So why here? Why here is he teaching in parables? So that some will understand, some will not. What's the difference, I think, here and as we look through this between religion and the kingdom? Religion, a lot of times, is focused on itself. It's focused on, you know, wanting to grow or an organization just getting bigger, right, getting money, keeping influence, whereas the kingdom is willing to give all that away for whatever God wants to do. So we're going to look first at the parable of the sower. And here, again, we don't have a lot of to-dos, but maybe a, a light will come on. Why do we see things the way we do? So the parable of the sower is in 13, verse 1 through 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So you read this parable. You know, you, you picture yourself sitting there listening to this. What is your first response? Huh? <laughs> right? I mean, honestly, a little bit of like, I, I, don't, I don't get it. And now I'm a little worried because you said that the parables are told to reveal things, secrets to some and hide it from others. Well, I feel like it's hidden right? You're reading, you're like, I just don't get it. It's not like there's this light in my head going, I understand everything here. 
So what? What do we do? I think the secret is in verse 9. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What's that mean? He says that all the time. Will you hear to hear? Will you listen with a humble, teachable spirit, with a desire for truth, a desire for God? That's the ear to hear. And what do the disciples do? Verse 10. Then the disciples came and they said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? They hear, they don't seem to understand what's going on. They went to Jesus and asked him, there is a secret right there. Do we go, when we're confused, do we go humbly and go, I don't get it. If you have a teachable spirit, willing to surrender to God, you will be given understanding. That's the point of parables, to seek understanding and receive understanding. Now, I'll be honest, there's a lot of things as we read scripture, as we try and get to know God, we won't understand. That's okay. If we understood everything, we'd be just like God. We don't want to be just like God. We want him to be God. So it's not like we're always going to understand, but this teachable spirit will seek for truth. They went, they asked questions. Do you lack understanding? Ask, right? Seek for truth. That's okay. And here, Jesus will then give them the truth about this parable. So he, he gives the parable. They come to him. Why do you teach in parables? He tells them so that some will understand, others won't. I want you to understand, and he explains it to them, starting in verse 18. It says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. All right, what do we see first? Here's the picture, a sower. Now, in that day and age, you know, they didn't have all the machines. They just had a bag, right? And they'd just walk down the field, chucking, you know, grab a hand. This is how you sow. You just throw it out, right? Sometimes the wind catches it. Sometimes it lands right where you want it, but you just walk around throwing it out. What is the seed? The seed is the gospel of the kingdom. That's the seed. The seed is the good news. That's the gospel. The good news of what? Jesus. Remember his first message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the gospel. The king is here. Jesus, specifically, Jesus, God in flesh, died on the cross, rose from the dead so we could have life. That we cannot be good enough. Stop trying to be good enough and earn your way and rather accept God's grace. That's the seed. That then we can be part of his kingdom with him king now and then into eternity. That's the good news. Surrender to this king, right? Repent, turn. Change your allegiance. That's the seed. The seed is good. The seed is always good. And this is absolute truth, right? This isn't just one way among many. This is the only way to God is through Jesus Christ and this seed. So the seed is good, but not all hearts receive it the right way. The word of the kingdom is the good news that admission into the kingdom is available to all who place their faith in Jesus as Lord, believing he died for our sins and bodily rose from the dead. Long sentence, but fairly simple. That's the seed. Now, why, when you share this, do some people go, eh? (laughs) Or or others hear and go, wait, for real? Is is that for real? I thought it was about doing things. Tell me more. People respond differently. Why? Well, again, now we're going to look at these hearts. Now, there's, a, there's different ways to read these parables. There's the religious way, and there's the kingdom way. I taught this exact passage many years ago when I was first starting to preach, and I taught it to a, a group that was a little bit more traditional religious. 
And I had a, a mentor friend who actually was visiting and listened to it. And afterward, he's like, I think you totally missed the point. I was like, huh? <laughs> he said, you, you taught to your audience so they would feel good. You didn't teach the truth of the passage. And it was one of those like, ugh. He was totally right. I taught it religiously. I broke down each one at how each soil might apply to a believer. That's not what it means. This is talking about the response to the good news. This isn't talking about believers. This is talking about a non-believer. Here's the good news. How do they respond? I tried to make it feel good because the other one, the truth, is kind of hard. Because some of you today, as I go through the truth, you're going to hear it and go, oh, no, that might be me. I might make you feel bad. Religion doesn't want you, you to feel bad because you need to stay and keep giving your money. Right? Religion is about the crowd. Jesus, he drew a crowd, and then at every chance he could, he dispersed it. <laughs> he, he would get a crowd, and then he would sneak away. I got to go to that town. He would get rid of the crowd. He would say things to chase away those who wouldn't believe. Religion doesn't do that. That's why so often we shade over the hard parts of the Bible, right? Or we just tell people what they, we think they want to hear. So I'm just confessing I've done that, and I apologize, Jesus. Now we're going to look at this. From the kingdom perspective, meaning what it actually means. Who's the first one? Verse 19, the hard heart. This is the one who doesn't understand. But why don't they understand? The truth is they really don't want to understand. They're hard-hearted. They already have a worldview that they're committed to. They already have a set of beliefs. That's the way they're going. And so when they hear this, it's like, that doesn't align with what I already want to believe, and it bounces. Some will not understand the gospel because they don't want to. Plain and simple. They don't want, you're telling me Jesus is the only way? No other way? Yes, I don't like that. You're telling me if I surrender to this king, then there's going to be a heart change and I want to actually obey him and, I, and then I shouldn't do these other things? Right. Well, I don't want to do that. I want to do these things. And so I'm going to choose not to believe for that reason. That's the hard heart. Again, this is the response to the gospel. This isn't a believer. A believer, a true person who believes in Jesus, isn't going to hear this and go, no. Right? No believers are hard-hearted to the, the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, honestly, we can sometimes be hard-hearted when we see things we don't like. But if we really belong to him, hopefully we'll humbly submit and let him soften us and go, okay, I'm going to go your way. Sometimes because we're his, he'll discipline us and kick us around to make us go his way because he loves us. But we won't remain hard-hearted to the truth. What's the second one? Verse 20. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Jesus such a good teacher, right? He's teaching outside to a crowd, and he's telling them to look around, and he's giving an example of the field probably right next to him. It's like, look over at that field. So this is a picture I get, this rocky ground. Uh, to clear a field, you take all the rocks and you stack them on the side. Picture an Irish, you know, maybe you've seen pictures of Ireland. They have all these fields with all these stones around. That's kind of the picture, right? And the wind will blow the good soil into the cracks of those rocks on the edges. Uh, at our house, we have lots of rock walls that I've collected and, and stacked up, and there's some soil. I wouldn't call it good soil. It's, you know, desert sand. But in that soil, sometimes things will grow. Weeds will grow. And the weeds, the same weeds that grow there or grow in the ground are very different. 
You know, I'll walk around and I'll try and pull the ones out of the ground. I can't. And I'll grab my hula hoe and I can't do it. And I'll spray them and it won't die, right? It's like these darn, but if they're in the cracks, I just walk up and whoop, I pull it right out. Why? Because there's no root. There's no room for those roots to go. Shallow. The word there is shallow. A shallow heart. So what is this person? Now, this is tough because this person looks good at first. They receive it with joy. You share the gospel and they're like, I am in. I want to go to heaven. Great. I get to hang out with all these cool people, right? Um, or these people. Uh, I, I'm in. You know, they receive it with joy at first. But what happens to make them fall away? Tribulation or persecution. They receive it with joy and then somebody comes and goes, you're stupid. Don't you know evolution's the way? Oh, no, I feel bad. Okay, right? Or, or they think, I surrender to Jesus. Now life's going to be good. I'm going to get rich. I'm always going to be healthy. I'm going to live to 110. I mean, whatever. And then life happens. They have marriage strife. Their kids, rebe- whatever. It's like, this isn't what I signed up for. And they walk away. A shallow faith that does not stand through tribulation proves to be no faith at all. Proves to be- This is hard truth. Because we want to say, no, that person believed. I saw it, but they're not here anymore. But I'm placing my faith in that once upon a time they said they believed. Because once saved, always saved. That's true, once saved, always saved. But this shallow faith was never true faith. The hard part about this, right, is that these people are about themselves and not about the king. So when things aren't going the way they want, it's about them. 1 John 2, 19 We get a little bit of truth. John says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Meaning one of the greatest evidence of true salvation is that it lasts. Now, can we dip into times of rebellion? Absolutely. Right? Is there times where we wander? Yes. But our loving Father will bring us back. But the person to wander and go, I'm done, that person has no hope, honestly, of eternal salvation. This, you see how emotional this is? And I would say emotion is different than, than passion. This person, they receive it with joy. There's some emotion in it, but it doesn't last. This is why I get a little bit irritated with um, emotional pleas uh, um, of manipulation to get people to, to surrender to Jesus, right? We just want to get our numbers of conversions, and so we'll manipulate it. Um, I've spoken at summer camp many times with kids, and I love it. But there's that night. When it it all leads up to that night where you share and invite, which I think is good and should be part of camp. But what happens a lot is like all these kids are crying and becomes cool, right? And all these kids are going up and like, I should do that too. Now you can be saved there, Paul was. Um, But but you, I mean, that can be real, but sometimes it's it's an emotional kind of manipulation and we wonder why it doesn't last because there was no depth of truth of, hey, by the way, this is going to get really hard for you. (laughs) The enemy's going to come and try and tear you down, right? So we need some truth with it. There's the the shallow soil, the shallow faith. What's the next one? Verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Thorns. Again, good seed, right? Right? The news of Jesus is the only good news out there, and it is good. 
This person hears it, but what, what's wrong with this soil? It's already occupied. The soil already has some stuff in it. This is a divided heart. The heart occupied with worldly concerns or a desire for wealth is unable to faithfully serve God's kingdom. It, it, it chokes. Again, this one is kind of like the shallow soil in that it, it can look good. In fact, there can be very religious people that are this type of soil. Right? They can do these things. Again, I have a really good example in my own garden. We have some raised beds, and last year I thought, I'm going to grow a bunch of stuff in this other area over here. No raised beds. That was really dumb. Right? I cleared something, whatever, and it's like day after day, the, the grass and everything else is just moving in. I just have to keep it, you know, pulling it out. And, pull, and as I start to do it, it pulls the, whatever. And at the end, it's like, that was a lot of work, and we got nothing from that area. So over the winter, it's really become overgrown, and now it's, it's done. I mean, you can walk through, and they're like, oh, there's the stock of that tomato I tried to grow, right? There's that squash, you know. That's this soil. The, the person that, that looks like they respond, but, but they're so busy with life or whatever it is, the concern for wealth. By the way, does this say or anywhere else that it's bad to be wealthy? No. That, that's not biblical. It's the desire for, for wealth, right? Uh, it's the, the desire Above all else, Scripture says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. But God will often give money to his faithful servants to use for his glory. So, so it's not saying being wealthy is wrong or bad, but it's the person divided. It's the person really focused on themselves and stuff. Again, these can be very religious people, right? And they'll, they'll throw God a bone, right, by coming to church, by giving some. You know, the average American Christian, and I, I say Christian in quotes, gives less than 2%, right? That, that right there, you look at, okay, given less than 2%, but look at all these toys that we have, all these things we focus on. That's this type of soil, right, of choked out these concerns, these other things that we're focused on. They want Jesus and fill in the blank, right? Jesus and, and something else. Really, we're supposed to be all in with Jesus. Here's a bad example. I was uh, getting ready for church one morning, you know, early, and, and people were there getting ready, and, and there was a mom and her son, and I was behind them. They didn't see me, uh, and the son's like, why do I have to be here? I don't want to come to church. I want to stay home, right? I mean, doing the kid thing. She's like, no, we're supposed to be. This is good. And he's like, when I have soccer, I don't have to come. I'm like, oh, right? So church, and I'm not saying you can never miss church. That's not what I'm saying. But he had learned if soccer or church, it, it, right, sports, sports will always win. I'm not saying they weren't saved, right? But I am saying that was pretty weedy. That, and the kid was learning that, watching priorities of mom and dad. Oh, the priorities are there. And it, it choked out what God might do in that kid and through that family. And so are we, are we God and anything or are we all Jesus? I'm going to offend you again. <laughs> What, what do I think is maybe the biggest thorn, the biggest weed right now? I think it's politics. I think, I think Christians are getting so drawn away by fear and anger that there's no fruit coming through, right? Social media, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, I, I always do, but there's a theme really noticing social media, why is it working the way it does? It appeals to fear and anger because it gets more clicks, and whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. They don't care because they want the money. They get money per click. And so they're feeding fear and anger. 
Why are all these conspiracy theories like, oh, we all want to believe him because we, get it, we hear him and it makes us passionate, excited, angry, whatever, and now some other people, I heard that too. I heard that too. Yeah, because you're all clicking on the same things and you're all hearing the same things. And so we get all wrapped up and then we're, we're scared, right? We're anxious, we're angry, and then we're not enjoying the fruits of the kingdom. And so, so there's no fruit coming out because we're focused on the wrong things, activism or whatever it is. There was a, in another podcast, again, this kind of a theme among church leaders right now talking about this. There was a, a church about our size, and at the beginning of COVID, pretty much overnight, they turned into over 1,000 people. And they were talking about why. Were there a lot of conversions? No, not, not one. What happened? That church took a rebellious stance of rights, right? It's about us and our rights, and that is really attractive. That appeals. And so a bunch of people flocked to that. Yeah, but it wasn't attractive to the lost. In this podcast, they were asking each other, do you think the American church is more attractive to the lost now than it was three years ago? No, probably not. Because a lot of the stance that we've taken through this whole COVID thing is, we get our rights, us, me, right? Rather than humble love. Now, I'll tell you this. I think churches could have a different solution at the beginning. I think churches landed in different spots through prayer and humble submission. Some said, we're going to follow what the government says completely. Some said we're not, and they made that through a humble. So there's a way to make those decisions in love, but some were very openly rebellious, right? And it, that was weedy. That's really weedy because then we're focused on those things, not what God wants to do through the kingdom, right? If, if whatever it is is stirring up anger and fear, that's a big sign because Jesus, he stirs up joy and hope. Big difference in the kingdom. Joy, hope, peace. I love all those words that are in the Bible. Good soil, good soil. 23, as for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. The good soil has a propensity to accept God's truth readily and submit. That's the good soil. They hear, they're willing to humble themselves and admit when they're wrong. That's the good soil they hear. And notice, there's always fruit. Good soil all, always produces fruit, but to different measures. Meaning, we can't look at somebody else and go, oh, they bear more fruit. It's different. And, and we can't look at somebody, oh, they have no fruit. You really don't know what God might be doing in their heart. They might have stopped cussing, and for them, that's a big deal, or whatever it is. right? So we're not supposed to be true, uh, fruit inspectors. But good soil will bear fruit differently. Now, now what, let's get some more details on this. Good soil. There's two very short parables uh, in this chapter that I think explain the good soil. Look at verse 44, 13, 44, and 45. Two short parables that say the exact same thing. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all he has, and he buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it, and bought it. If a person truly understands the good news of the kingdom, there is nothing that will not give up in order to be included. Again, this is describing, I think, the good soil. This isn't saying works-based salvation at all. This is saying when you understand your depravity, you understand your need, you understand 
The God of the universe took on flesh and died for you, and you can have eternal salvation in a relationship with him, adopt all these things, right? I mean, the list could go on. When you understand it, all you can do is bow, right? Like, I would give up anything to be part of that. But here, again, we don't earn it. It's given. And so this is more of an after the fact. We get it. We understand it. We're part of the kingdom. Now, I'll give you everything. This is saying yes to Jesus before you know what he asks. Right? Do you have a but? I'll follow Jesus except for, uh, that's not this. This treasure is so beautiful. I mean, this is where I got the idea, you know, my treasure's not so great. Right? A G.I. Joe, an old nickel. At that time, a new nickel. Right? This is real treasure. Right? A pearl of great pride. I mean, these, you find these things. You, you understand the kingdom. If you're here, you understand what Jesus has done. There's nothing you'll withhold. Does it mean we're perfect? No, right? We got to be careful with that. It doesn't mean good soil is always perfect, always been perfect. Not at all. But our hearts are for the kingdom. The kingdom is about the king. And he gives everything to his people who are willing to give everything as sons and daughters of the king. There's the relationship within the kingdom. So again, there's not, there's not a lot of to-dos in this. So, so what, do we, what do we do with it? I hope it helps us look around a little bit and go, I understand why things are the way they are. There's always going to be these different soils in, in the world, always going to be some within the church, right, and wondering where we're at. And so we look around, and hopefully we're not frustrated by it. Jesus told us this is the way it's going to be. And also the Holy Spirit is the one who works on the soil. We just spread the good seed. We share the good seed with love, right? Not with harshness, but with love and patience. And he creates the growth. And he can take, he can take a hard heart, a hard soil, and he can soften it. Sometimes it might take 20 years of prayer on our part, but, but he can do that work. So I hope this can give us some peace, right? And some understanding of what life is in the kingdom and maybe a little bit in the, in the mirror, right? If you're like, oh my goodness, I'm weedy soil. I'm weedy soil. That might mean you need to come up to the prayer wall and confess some things, give some things to, to him, maybe commit to make some changes in your life. But as we move to this next time, we're going to take communion. This is a perfect time to respond to whatever the Holy Spirit has done with you with this. Uh, we have three stations here, here, and here. Uh, communion is for believers only. Jesus instituted this before he went to the cross. He said, do this in remembrance of me. We take the cup remembering his blood spilt for us. We eat the bread, remembering his body broken for us because in that he took our sin. And so we remember his suffering and his death and we remember his resurrection because in his resurrection, God said, accept it, paid in full, we can be forgiven. In this, we also look forward to him coming back. So part of this is anticipation of the king coming back and setting up his perfect reign and rule. So let me encourage you, we're gonna have two more songs Take a minute before you take communion. Take a minute and just pray. Is God showing any sin in your life that maybe you need to give to him? Do you feel like you might be weedy or shallow soil and you need to do something about that? I'm going to be in the back. Come talk to me. I'd love to pray with you. If you realize you've never surrendered to Jesus as king, I'm going to be in the back. Come talk to me. I'd love to pray with you. But after we do that, some introspection. Is there anything we need to do? Then come and joyfully worship by taking communion. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth that we see. I thank you that these secrets um, about the kingdom are, are revealed, that we can understand what's happening. Jesus, I thank you that it's about you. You are the pearl of great price. You are the treasure hidden in a field that we stumble upon and find and will give anything to have. 
And Jesus, if, if we have accepted you as Lord, we have it. We have the treasure. We have the kingdom. And I just thank you. It's all about you, Jesus. You are our king. And now we are going to worship you because you deserve it. Not to earn anything, not to get anything, because you've already given us everything. But we love you and we are thankful. So please, let our worship now be a fragrant aroma to you. And I pray if there's anything we need to do in response before we take your, your supper, that we would do that. In Jesus' name, amen.